Last week, we started a three-part series, a Christmas series called Eternity, and we spoke about Jesus Christ being the King Eternal. The Word of God says in Isaiah, from eternity to eternity, I am God. And so we take that as our, as our cue to come into this Christmas season and to remind ourselves of that. Today, the message that I've entitled for you is God in flesh appearing. The truth is everything that we see, the sun, the moon, the stars, the beauty of God's creation, man, woman, all of that was created by an intelligent designer and I would say the most intelligent designer. All were created by God. This is the truth, and it bears out logically. It bears out scientifically. It bears out spiritually. It bears out scripturally. It's even historically accurate. If you do some research and, and start to understand the word of God and the details of creation, you realize this earth is not millions of years old. It is thousands of years old, and we have a time marker in humanity, in history, of Jesus Christ's birth and his resurrection, his death and his resurrection, and that really changed history. Back in the beginning of creation, man committed sin against God. He was basically told, like your kids, don't do this one thing, <laughs> and he chose to do that one thing. She, his wife, chose to do that one thing. They chose disobedience, and as a result, that sin separated them from God and from his presence. But God had a plan that he established before we were ever here to redeem us because he knew what was going to happen. I have that peace in my heart in every moment of my life that God knows what's going to happen. I was reminded recently, Hope sent in, uh, a little email to Amy and I to share some encouragement that back in 2006, they were talking about God providing a miracle and doing things here in this building to help it get further along in the process of reaching this community and help inspire the people. And God saw that happen, not in our timing necessarily, but in his timing. So I have this confidence to know that God knew what he was doing back then. So when I run up against a brick wall or when I have a crisis in my own life or if there's a job loss, if there's a relationship issue, when there's challenges like that, I start to remind myself that this is not a surprise to God. He knows every detail of our lives. He knew it from the beginning. But man committed sin and it separated him from his creator. God provided the payment to cover the debt of humanity and Jesus Christ is his name. Now, some would believe, and some still do, that he was simply a great teacher, that he may even have been an anointed prophet, but we believe more than that, that he was not only a man who was a teacher and a great one at that, but also God in flesh appearing. Two natures in perfect harmony and unity. Everything that we believe, everything that you and I believe as a Christian hinges on this one question that we have to answer, which is this, was he God? If we don't have that as our, as our foundation, as the, the first layer, then everything else peels back and peels away. Everything else, nothing else makes sense if we don't understand the truth of Christmas 
and it's not a jolly fat man with a white beard. (laughs) It's all about the salvation that God wanted to provide to humanity for you and for me. And it hinges, everything we believe hinges on that answer of was he God. I want to say to you, and I've, I've spoken strongly and sternly, I always do. There is no ambiguity with that answer. The answer to the question of was he God is a yes or a no for you in your life. There's no in-between. You must answer either yes or no. And that really determines the shape of the rest of your life. Your understanding of that helps you understand everyday life. So if we have wrong views about his deity, we cannot have right views about the other aspects of Christian faith. There's no point to love if God didn't so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? There's no point to seek peace, what we sing about this morning. There's no point to that if we don't understand that God through Christ Jesus has provided peace and he says he gives his peace and leaves it with us and he also gives us the Holy Spirit who will give us peace that passes human understanding. So even those small things like love, joy, peace, we have no basis for any of those things if we answer the question, was he God, with a negative answer, no. We believe here in this church and many churches around the world, we believe that his birth was miraculous, that his life was sinless, that his death was atoning, and that his resurrection was redemptive. Here's what I want to communicate to you this morning. There would be no point for him to have come had he not chosen to die. And there would be no point to his death had he not been risen from the dead. Because he came, because he lived a sinless life, because he did die a sacrificial and substitutionary death on a cross, because his body was raised from the dead, I can have life and it more abundantly, the Bible says. So in God's perfect plan of redemption, a beautiful reversal takes place. We're told in Genesis that God created man in his image. But then as we look at the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, we realize that God allowed himself to then later on, thousands of years from creation, be made into the image of man. This is miraculous. This is life-changing and it can be life-shaping for us when we recognize that our God is a God who provided the payment for the debt that we owed. I like that old song. I won't sing it to you this morning, but he paid a debt that I owed, a debt I could not pay. He paid that. Amen? He did it, and only he did it. Amen? So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, according to John chapter 1. Jesus came in a way that made him easy to miss but hard to forget. He was fully God and fully man. Are you in Genesis chapter 3? All right, one of you is. Are. Great. We, fully God and fully man. We call this, I want to give you some insight and some education this morning. We call this the duality of Christ, the dual nature of Christ, in complete harmony, in complete unity. In Genesis chapter 3, if you look at verse 14 and 15, you'll see words that God himself is speaking to the serpent. 
In chapter 3, verse 15, I want you to listen in and wrap your mind around this this morning. He says this, God speaking to the serpent in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you, we could say animosity or a contention, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You think, well, what does that have to do with the Christmas story? What does that have to do with God in flesh appearing? There are two things in this one single verse that we cannot overlook. The first is this, his heel is singular masculine in the original language of Hebrew. When it says there that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, it's foretelling or prophetic of someone who was coming because there were only two people alive in the garden at the time, right? So we have to understand that in just the basic elementary way. But this passage does something that's really wonderful and really confusing or confounding to many people. The majority of history and societies throughout all of time have been what we consider patriarchal, not matriarchal. The difference being father-led, father-driven, male heir versus female and the female aspect. This passage describes the descendant of a woman, not a man. When it says his seed and her seed or your seed as he's speaking to the serpent and her seed. So the language is strange because the Jews were a patriarchal society. They were not matriarchal. It's extremely odd that the text mentions the seed of a woman and not a man. It makes sense when you understand the virgin birth. So either the Bible is a complete load of garbage or it's an incredibly engineered and designed book of the history of mankind and God's desire to redeem them. We can't look at this and not see that the seed of a woman makes sense in the light of the virgin birth. And God knew that. And you say, well, wait a second. Okay, talk about the validity of scripture and who wrote all the Bible and who's the author. Thousands of years before Christ came, these words are being written your seed and the seed of the woman. If it was said that Jesus would be from the seed of a man, that would imply he was going to be the offspring of a human father, which he wasn't. He was the offspring, the Bible tells us, which is really hard to wrap your mind around, but he's the offspring of the Holy Spirit and of Mary. Matthew chapter one, if you'll go there with me. I read it at the opening of our service today, but I'll read it again for you today. You can go there, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this in verse 18 and following, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. I want you to stop for a second. I don't want to take advantage of the fact or assume that you understand and know this. So basically, they're engaged. They've been courting. They've been set up. They're going to get married. But before they came together, and the Bible uses the word helping us understand the sexual nature of a relationship. Before they came together, she was found pregnant with child of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says this. Then Joseph, her husband, was a just man, and he didn't want to make a public example. 
he was minded to put her away secretly. So in those days, if something happened, some indiscretions uh, and some immorality happened prior to being married, it was his job and his duty as a, as a man to be able to put her away. And there was something where she would be publicly shamed and people in the community would know she got pregnant by somebody else besides him. He would vouch for the fact that he wasn't with her and he hadn't known her in that intimate way. But he was a just man and I feel like he must have loved her so deeply he was conflicted about what to do with this situation. Verse 20, but while he was thinking about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So it's important for you not to only grab a hold of the understanding that Jesus was a historical figure. Lots of people believe that and understand that because there's things to back that up. But it's also important for us as believers to understand that it was at conception that the mingling of these two natures, deity and humanity, took place. The Holy Spirit fused God with humanity in the womb of a virgin. That's really wild when you think about it. It was only done once because it was only needed and necessary to be done once. Jesus then appeared not as God exclusively or man exclusively, but as unequivocally unique and the only what we would call God-man who ever lived. He was very God and he was perfect man all in one. As I was reading a commentary, the thought of the person who wrote the commentary said, he must have been the most handsome guy ever born. Because it just captured the thought of this guy as he's looking through the word. If God himself came down from heaven to be in humanity, he must have looked the part, right? I mean, he must have been handsome. He must have had a better beard than Jeff does. I mean, he must, <laughs> he must have been awesome even just on the physical side of things. You've got to realize that as a human, he experienced things like working in his shop. He toiled, for, he worked and earned what he worked for. He was a carpenter. Throughout the scripture in the story of the gospels, you hear people saying, is this not the carpenter's boy? Is this not the carpenter? They changed the tone at some point because maybe he's taken over dad's shop. Maybe Joseph's died at this point and he's still building furniture. I can guarantee you he builds pretty awesome furniture. I can guarantee it. Because everything he does is good. Are you getting that this morning? So he's veiled in flesh the Godhead see. That's another phrase from a Christmas song. But the miracle of the incarnation then is that Christ, who has always existed in the form of God, was willingly, you have to understand this, it was willing on his part to be transformed into the form of a servant. In the likeness, the Bible says in Romans and Philippians, in the likeness of sinful flesh, made in the likeness of men, but with sin excluded. It was necessary 
because he was able to then live a perfect and sinless life. He did this, though, as fully God and fully man. I don't believe that there are moments where he forsake his godship and just dealt in the human nature. I believe with all of my heart, Scripture backs it up and bears it out that he was completely unified as a man and as God himself. To say it another way, the Son of God became a man in order to enable men and women to become the sons and daughters of God. It's really incredible when you think about it. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35 says this, Then Mary said to the angel, Now this is the conversation Mary's having with an angel. you got to get this picture in your head. Joseph's getting wacky dreams. He's like, did I eat the pizza last night? Like, what's going on? My, my soon-to-be wife is pregnant. He's got all these issues. Now the, an angel is talking to Mary. It seems like everybody might be hallucinating. There are strange things happening everywhere. Verse 34 says this of chapter 1, Then Mary said to the angel, What would you say to an angel? if you were having a conversation. But she asked a question, which is, what? (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? I was telling the story of our engagement to my kids the other day, and uh, Madeline was just like enraptured in this thought of, they got out of a horse-drawn carriage in New York City, and Daddy asked Mommy to marry him. And I said, yes. And you know what your mommy said? She didn't say yes. (laughs) What? She said, are you kidding me? That's what she said, because she was so flabbergasted. I mean, it was amazing, the whole package, okay? So, but here you can imagine a person having a conversation with an angel in this moment, and he's saying, this is going to be your lot in life forever. You're going to bear the Son of God. And she says, huh? How can it be since I have not known a man? Verse 35, she says this, and the angel, it says this of the situation. It says, and the angel answered and said back to her, responded, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That small phrase there, I did some research on, and I want to share it with you this morning. When it says that the Holy Spirit came upon her, or that in the future tense, the angel was saying the Holy Spirit will come upon her, it's literally, it literally means to be clothed with. If you were in Sunday school at some point as a kid, you might remember some details of other biblical characters. It says that King Saul as wicked and as turned away from God as he was, when he saw a school of prophets, there were a bunch of guys who were prophets, who were anointed by God. It says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. It says in the moment where Balaam and his donkey are having these issues going to a place that the Holy Spirit of God came upon Balaam. It says of Gideon that the Lord gave him strength and might. It says the same thing of Samson, that as the Spirit of God came upon him or rested upon him, it's literally to be clothed in. Jesus said this 
but we can't escape it as well, that David said, it said the same thing of David, that the Holy Spirit came upon him, or the Spirit of God came upon him. It says this, that God himself through Jesus in the New Testament, before departing, said, wait and hang out in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And Paul says, when he's writing to a church, he says, you have got a problem. You are dealing with all this stuff in the flesh and you're still struggling with sin and you're still going back and forth between these two natures that you've had. He says, what you've got to do is you've got to put on Christ. You've got to wear him like a coat, but when you do, he somehow absorbs into you and you become him. It says of us in Colossians chapter one that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That Christ came not just to be born in a manger and then to live a sinless life and die, but that he has the ability today because he still lives today. He has the ability to live inside of you. This is significant. If Christ lives in me, he can give me power and authority to live a life of victory. If Christ lives in me, then I will be quick to forgive and slow to pick up a grudge. If Christ lives in me, my mouth will say appropriate things. If Christ lives in me, my eyes will watch appropriate things. If Christ lives in me, I'll have appropriate relationships. If Christ lives in me, people will know. So our Lord's dual nature meant that God clothed himself with man and that man was clothed with God. What an incredible thought. So think about it in terms like this. As a man, Jesus must have been, well, I'll say cutting the rug on the dance floor at the wedding in Cana, okay? He must have been out there with the best of them. He was a man enjoying a wedding. But as God, in that moment, he responded to a need. How many of you have ever prayed that the Lord would give wine to your cupboards? <laughs> just, just kidding. Strike that from the record. But I'm going to tell you this. It was simple. And I could say it wasn't a need but a want. And God even provided that. And that was the first thing he did. That's not a guarantee that everything you want will happen and will come to life as a result of some magical power of God. But it's important for you to know that he lived a life like we did and do. He was at a wedding enjoying himself, and his mama said, hey, son, we're out of wine. And he said, it's not my time. And she said, Joker, you better go get some wine. <laughs> go figure it out. So he went about doing his father's business, the Bible says. So he turned water into wine. As a man, he knew what it meant to need sleep. He liked naps. He was on a boat. How many of you like naps? So you're like Jesus already, and you didn't know it, okay? But he was on a boat, and he was in need of rest. His body was exhausted. He'd been traveling. You got to understand, there's no cars and bicycles. They're walking hundreds of miles, essentially, in circles, traveling and going around to preach and all this stuff. He gets on a boat, and he's tired and wants to take a nap. And as fully man, he's exhausted, but as fully God, he's woken up and he speaks to nature itself and the laws of nature that he set in place bend to his will. 
It's incredible when you think about it. As a man, he wept because his friend Lazarus had died. I never really had thought about that. I thought about the fact that Jesus wept because his, his buddy had died, but more so, you know, people were kind of angry. Mary and Martha are going, hey, Jesus, you know, if you were here a couple days earlier, he wouldn't have been dead now, but now he's dead. The stone's in front of the thing. What are you, like, you going to do? So he could have been crying because he was angry or upset or because he knew that they were hurting. But he, as a man, shed tears because his friend passed away. But he, as fully God, raised him from the dead. This is a unity of natures that we've got to understand. When people say, yeah, Jesus Christ, he suffered all the temptations that we are with, without sin. He lived life just like you and I. He was short on change. He was betrayed. He had to work and earn what he got. He went tired. He had issues in relationships. He had all of these things that we think about when we think about humanity. Jesus Christ was known both as the Son of God and the Son of Man. And these two terms I want to break down for you before we uh, finish up today. As Son of God, Jesus is related to God the Father. It only makes sense. If you're the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, that means he's your daddy. Okay, But Jesus actually didn't use this phrase when he talked about himself. More than 80 times throughout the New Testament, Jesus is talking about himself to other people. And he does not use the phrase, Son of God. He uses the phrase, Son of Man. Son of God, the only begotten Son of the Father. The title is never used of his supernatural birth. Listen to me, because it is not by birth that that relationship existed. He was the son of the father way before in eternity past, before he was born on this earth. He was the son of God before he ever became the son of Mary. It's a claim that was made for Jesus, the son of God, by John the Baptist. You can look at Matthew chapter 3 or Mark chapter 1, different places where John the Baptist is going around preaching and he's saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. The son of God is coming. It was substantiated by God the Father himself. Think about what happened in the day of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. He's being baptized, and the Father's voice from heaven says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's also substantiated by God the Father at his transfiguration. That's a big word. It, it's, it's what happened basically as he after he died and was resurrected, before he left to go into heaven, his body was transformed. His physical body was transformed. And the same way the Apostle Paul is giving instructions to the church about what's going to happen. And he says that at some point in the future, we're all going to experience that same thing. That our sinful flesh can't go into heaven. But God is going to transform us. And it's by in the blinking of an eye, it's going to be that quick. But at his transfiguration, God speaks from heaven again and calls him the son of God, says he is his son. Son of man is a title that he gave himself and no one else referred to him with that phrasing. No one else. He calls himself that more than any other title. This is a striking contrast between, listen to the striking contrast between the first time that the son of man is spoken in scripture and the last time. The first time is found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. It says this, The Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, has nowhere to lay his head. 
This joker was out of luck. <laughs> Couldn't find a place in the inn. Now he's a grown man and he can't find a place to put his head down at night. He's nomadic in nature. He's having to sleep in boats. He's walking this earth, but he says the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The same concept of son of man and the word head appear as the last reference in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. This is at the end of our age. It says this, and the son of man having a, on his head a golden crown. So what a difference, what a contrast from going from a place of not having a place to lay his head to being crowned king eternally. This is awesome when you think about it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 tells us that the Son of Man is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of you. Amen? Somebody say amen, right? He's not, Jesus was not friends with those who were religious. He was all the time getting himself into trouble because he was hanging out with what other people would call the bad crowd. Now, that was Jesus, okay? We ask you to have some parameters in your life, okay? You need fellowship with believers. But here in Jesus' life, we see that this is played out, that he was a friend of sinners. That gives me hope. How thankful we should be that that's true. Jesus named himself the Son of Man because it was part of the divine plan of redemption and reconciliation that he should come into a full human nature. This allowed him to know the life of those who he came to save. He now could bear the burdens of sorrow and disappointment in his flesh. He could experience temptation. He could endure certain limitations of the flesh. Flesh. Jesus couldn't do stuff that we can't do. He was in one place at one time because he was locked in a fleshly body. He was stuck in the place of Israel. Please don't read anything in the Book of Mormon that says he came and traveled on a boat to come to America, okay? Jesus was in one place, okay, at one time because he didn't have that ability because he limited himself willingly to be experiencing life as you and I know it. He had human experiences and emotions. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 explains... It says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses or our struggles. So Jesus wept. He got angry. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was deeply grieved by people and their actions. He was moved with compassion. He was tempted. He got tired. He needed rest. He worked for a living. He knew joy. He suffered betrayal. He had compassion. He prayed himself. He himself prayed. And I love this about Jesus. He was a chef. You don't think so? It's in the word of God. He cooked breakfast for his buddies. They had been working all night, toiling all night long. And by the time they got to shore, Jesus said, hey, bring me some of that fish. I've got a fire started. I'm cooking you breakfast. Look it up. It's incredible when you think about the confines of what he put himself through in order to understand and for us to understand, I should say, who he is and why he came. So the next time you're experiencing the challenges of life, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus truly does understand. 
He knows what you're going through. You say, wait a second, he didn't go to college. He didn't have a professor. Wait a second, he did. He was, as a teenager, he was in a school where they were teaching him the law and the Torah. It says of Jesus that he had to grow in stature. So his body wasn't just amazingly, you know, six foot tall. He had to grow as a child into an adult. He had to grow in knowledge, the Bible says, and he did so. He understands every detail of our life. Augustine of Hippo attempted to capture the mystery of the incarnation. And I want to read this to you. This is written more than 15 centuries ago. He says this about Jesus and about his birth and about the, the idea that he was fully God and fully man. He says this, the maker of the son, yet he was made under the son. In the father he remains but from his mother he goes forth. The creator of the heavens and the earth, yet he was born on earth under heaven. He was unspeakably wise and yet wisely speechless in many moments of his life. He's both great in the nature of God and yet small in the form of a servant. It's incredible when you think about the fact is he knows what your life is, what it will be, that he's experienced life just as you and I know it, that he's been tempted, that he's been tried, that he's been betrayed, that he's experienced joy and all of these other emotions and to know that he wants to live inside of me. And guess what? He wants to help me with all of those aspects of my life just like he experienced he wants to help me emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He has given even the Holy Spirit to us in order to enable us to live the life that God wants us to live. He is truly God in flesh appearing.